You are back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio, Hawaii Talks. This is Catherine Cruz. Our economic recovery is still on shaky ground. Local businesses are struggling to stay afloat. This week, companies share their experiences as part of a panel hosted by ProService Hawaii. It provides human resource services to local businesses, including Hawaii Public Radio. The conversation focused on what Hawaii businesses need to recover right now. The panel included uh, Monica Taguchi-Ryan, the president and owner of Highway Inn. In a heartfelt video released last month, she laid out everything her business has done to stay afloat while following government protocols. There's nothing more we can do to survive this, she said. During the panel, uh, the business panel, she said uh, it's been an unfair recession. HPR's news director, Bill Dorman, moderated the discussion. Monica, you are right in the trenches of face-to-face customer service, running your business with really shifting rules and guidelines uh, over time. How do you start to look at this discussion? So I think so many of us are suffering from COVID fatigue. Uh, I've mentioned, you know, we, we've had our daily lives so inconvenienced, so inconvenienced. Um, and the Russian industry in particular um, has been impacted. And I think it, it's been an unfair type of recession that we're going through right now. It's mainly you know, customer facing types of businesses that have been profoundly affected by COVID. And then there's some segments um, that are doing particularly well as a result of the pandemic. Um, For those of you who have watched the video, um, I wanna give a shout out to Nancy Nino who's out there. She's been a behind the scenes woman um, trying to get these stories out um, of variety types of um, small businesses and our struggles. And I was able to share that the top three things at least, and I think they're pretty pretty general across the board, regardless of what industry you might be in. But for Highway Inn in particular, I talked about government relief as being um, the number one thing that we need. And fortunately, recently, Mayor Caldwell, um, through the CARES Act, recently um, announced that there's a $75 million program for small businesses to be able to apply to, but also the bigger, the second round of PPP, we were hoping to to receive by now. Um, You know, I already knew back then after the first round of PPP that if we did not get a second round around this time in October, there will be a lot more businesses who will fail because the, the situation with the pandemic is that it's been very unfair for businesses um, where we've had to suffer the, the mandates of government, um, but it hasn't really rippled upstream, for example. Um, and I want to put this out there that um, we have two locations, one obviously at SALT at Arkakaka with Kamehameha Schools, and the other um, in Waipahu, and then we have a small satellite with the Bishop Museum. And Kamehameha Schools, um, and Michael would be very happy to hear this, Kamehameha Schools has been just a wonderful partner um, to be tenants of from the very beginning. They immediately recognized that um, they needed to support their tenants in every possible way. And so we've been very fortunate um, being a tenant uh, of Kamehameha Schools, who is largely pretty much self-funded, if I, if I can go and say that, Micah unlike some other entities who who have mortgages themselves, um, we've had far more flexibility uh, having KSBE as a landlord. In Waipahu, it's a little bit, it's a a different story. Um, We have a a landlord there. Um, He's been very um, helpful in terms of allowing um, us to pay less than the full amount, but there is an expectation that we are going to pay back, uh, but we haven't paid back. So the government, relief has would be very helpful in these instances and then the second thing is is debt restructuring with our local financial institutions now we've been running a 10-year streak um there's there's been a lot of profits made and and obviously no one wants to lose money but at this point you know what what do financial institutions what are they willing to to suffer in terms of loan losses or debt restructuring making less money so that businesses can be helped out and survive. Um, and I'll, I'll put this scenario um, out there, is that Highway Inn employs about 120 employees. Our payroll runs about $2.5 million. What is a better 
use of government monies or helping the economy, helping businesses like Highway Inn to survive. Would you rather have the state support a $2.5 million payroll, as well as all the monies that we pay to our vendors, millions of dollars every year, the monies that we collect in general excise tax to our treasury, um, to federal taxes that help to pay for things like the CARES Act. So, you know, it, it just makes better sense to be preventive. And, and that basically means that everybody has to give a little. And, and so that, and then the last, you know, um, so the three things is government relief, um, debt restructuring with our financial institutions and um, landlord relief. And, and we've been fortunate with our um, Kaka'ako property. Um, and these are basically long-term costs for businesses. So, you know, I, I don't, I know the title is what do we need to recover? But right now I, I feel like it's what do we need to just survive? Um, because if we don't get some of these responses, uh, we won't be able to survive when things do get better. And Pro Services Ben Godsey added his thoughts about landlords. I, I don't think anybody ever looked at a lease thinking about a situation that might remotely look like what we're going through. And so no one's negotiating, no, no renter has negotiated a position to say, what would happen if COVID makes it so I don't even go in my office building for X number of months, or I can't get any revenue from my location. And so it's a, it's a strange situation to really be at the, I'd say the will and the whim of the landlord for whether or not they want to take the perspective that Monica said, which is, hey, can we look at this for the long term and say, we're going to all be better off if we're just surviving and still here, you know, and kind of, you know, we're definitely suffering, right? And, and you know, and so, like, not landlords take all the hit, you know, or businesses take all the hit, you know, or, or you know, renters take all the hit. But, um, you know, how how is there, you know, a better, you know, a better framework for, you know, for solutioning there. And, and ProService doesn't have nearly as many locations as, as some businesses, but we've got them on all islands. And every single one of our discussions with our landlords over the past, you know, in this year about uh, the impact of this has been very different. It really, you know, it's like, it's very much landlord to landlord. And it's, and it's you know, and, and there, there's not much you're hearing about best, uh, at least that I'm finding, I'm having to go dig for best practices. Hey, what's, you know, like everybody wants to find what's fair. And Paul Kosasa of ABC Stores weighed in on having multiple locations. Yeah, every landlord's different. And my experience is that if I'm able to talk on the phone or on Zoom with the ownership, the landlord, there's shared sacrifice. We usually come to a agreement that, okay, they'll, they'll take um, some, uh, reduction they'll they'll take a hit and we'll you know pay less but then there are some very uh, large landlords which i don't have access to where they demand rent and waikiki is very expensive and then i do a little research on this one particular landlord and they're a 40 billion dollar investment fund <laughs> and so you know i'm one tenant of many right in, in this complex so and I, I'm unable to talk to the ownership. So, um, and, and so that's the unfairness part of it, I think that, that Monica's brought up, that if I'm able to talk to them and we all agree that, okay, you know, we can help you, I will help you, we'll, we'll take a hit too, then I think it's the survival time frame gets longer. But until we have this block, then, um, yeah, there are going to be more businesses. Unfortunately, I think there's going to be more businesses that are going to fail permanently. It, it's unfortunate, but I think that's the reality that we're in right now. You have been listening to highlights from a business panel webinar from ProService Hawaii, which provides HR services to local companies, including HPR. You can listen to the full discussion online. Visit hawaiipublicradio.org.
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Dowling Company. For more than three decades, working to develop housing projects for the Maui community and committed to building in balance. Proud to support Hawaii Public Radio. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Kate Marion Child, the author of Secrets of the Oak Woodlands. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about the intimate lives of wild plants and animals. Beginning Sunday morning at 11. Mental health takes the spotlight globally as we find ways to cope with this pandemic. The United Nations marks Mental Health Awareness Day internationally on October 10th, and here in Hawaii, it's no different. Isolation, loneliness, and drastic changes to our way of life brought on by the COVID-19 crisis has taken a toll on our collective mental health. The National Alliance on Mental Health, or NAMI, has been working to help Hawaii residents work through the psychological ups and downs. Kumi McDonald is the executive director. She talks to the Conversations' Harrison Patino about speaking up and getting help. So because the pandemic has really isolated people and shut people in and also prevented people from practicing their normal coping skills of exercise, getting out, socializing, so we see a high rate of increase in depressive thoughts, anxiety, and again, that leads also to suicidal ideation. So you've seen a tangible rise in the reporting of people saying that they have mental health difficulties. Oh, absolutely. As soon as COVID hit, the amazing thing was when it first hit, nobody called us because I think they were panicking just to buy toilet paper. But once that sort of like died down, then the call volumes were doubled our normal call volumes. And I know that other agencies have multiple, you know, digits of increase in phone calls because people are just so stressed. And stress is one of the major factors in really triggering mental health issues. You spoke about coping mechanisms before. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things you've been hearing the most about how this crisis is affecting people mentally? Well, most people, you know, one in five of us are struggling with a mental health condition, including myself. You know, I live in recovery from depression, anxiety. So I have to really make sure that I stay mentally, physically healthy all the time. And so one of my major things is to get out in nature, go for walks, go in the ocean. And there was a time when we weren't even allowed to go outside. Now we can. We can go in the ocean, things like that. But there were, you know, times when we couldn't do that. Socializing, being connected to your group. And Zoom just does not cut it. It helps. It helps. But it's not the same as really seeing your loved ones, getting a a hug and being with your support group or your church group. So some of those things are really vital to keeping yourself healthy. And so there's a lot of people who may have minor mental health issues. You know, they were borderline depressed, borderline anxiety, but they didn't, it wasn't a big issue. But now that they can't do all these things, like go to the gym or go out with their friends, it's, you know, we see the symptoms progressing and getting worse. Now, you bring up a really interesting point there. In the best of times, social isolation can be harmful to one's mental health, but I imagine that that's completely magnified when there's practically a global mandate on social isolation. Yes, absolutely. We are humans. We need contact. We need daily hugs and just a a smiling face. And so it's really put a, a lot of stress on people, and especially people with serious mental health issues like people who may have already had challenges with depression and they were like just barely making it to work, barely surviving. And then now it's like one more thing to deal with. Oh my gosh, I have to sanitize. Oh my gosh, I'm going to get my family sick. I can't go to the store. So these extra pressures are just another obstacle for them to go out or even to even get help. Because just imagine if you are depressed and you, you know, oh, I have to make an appointment. I have to go to the doctor, pick up medication, I have to talk to a therapist. But then now you add that additional layer of I have to wear a mask, sanitize, um, you know, wait in my car until my appointment is ready. Uh, All these extra obstacles just makes everything more challenging. Now, you talk about how difficult this crisis is for people who have already been struggling with mental illness, depression, suicidal thoughts. Has this crisis, do you think, made the problem of mental illness more visible to the mainstream? Oh, my goodness, absolutely. You know, 
just even in the workplace. We're getting a lot of phone calls from businesses that are asking for help educating their staff. They're saying we're hearing a lot of stories of suicidal ideation in the workplace, depression rising, um, and so all of these um, you know, essential workers, these companies that are still operating, the stress levels through the roof. And so we're getting a lot of calls, please help educate us. And so we've been doing a lot of Zoom seminars and trainings. And then just, um, you know, even schools are calling us and saying, can you speak to our high schoolers? And we hear a lot of stories of kids struggling. Can you talk on how to take care of ourselves? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a big deal. And not only just locally, but if you see television, if you're just watching news or any kind of morning show it's always some there's always something about taking care of yourself being mentally healthy now everybody's really made more aware of the importance of it now we've seen data from other parts of the country and with certain demographics but here in hawaii do you have a sense of if any reported suicides have gone up you know we don't nobody really can report on hard data until you know, after the year is over and then they analyze and they want to make sure all the data is correct. But, you know, we're hearing from the front line. I'm hearing from people who work with the homeless community, therapists, and we're hearing a lot of things that we're right at the brink of a major crisis, maybe. You know, that's what they're saying. Again, there's no hard data just yet, but even in my own personal experience answering these our information line, families are calling for help. We just see an extreme rise in, I'm really not doing well, what can I do? Or my son or my grandchild is suicide you know, texting, I want to hurt myself, what do I do? So we see a rise, so we know that something is going to happen. We just don't know exactly just what it will be. Now, we've seen all organizations that offer help have to transition to providing those resources, either online, over the phone, at a distance. How has the National Alliance of Mental Health been impacted? So NAMI is... We were ahead of the game. We were so proud because our national office gave us guidelines on taking classes and support groups all online. And so we were ahead of the game. We were one of the first in the nation. I mean, NAMI Hawaii was one of the first in the nation to provide support groups on Zoom. So we're real proud of our team here. So we do provide support groups for family members who are caregivers, but also people who are struggling with mental health issues or stress during COVID. And a new group starting up actually on October 13th, and that's going to be for career people. So there's going to be a lot of professionals who, you know, are struggling with their stress level or their mental health that they can connect at 630 in the evening. And again, it will be on Zoom. Now you're talking about resources there. What are some of the best steps to get help during this time? Well, the first thing that you can do is go and talk to someone. Go and get help. You can find great information on the Internet. Uh, you can call us, namihawaii.org, email us. You can find us on our website at namihawaii.org. Otherwise, you can. there's so many other options like text lines now for a crisis. There is um, free therapies available via Zoom. So if you're like, I can't afford it, my insurance was cut, there are free services available here locally. So you just have to call and ask for help. And I know that sometimes just making that call is hard, but email is good, too. Now, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but wrapping up here, do you think this crisis is going to fundamentally change how we think about mental illness in any way? I really, really hope so, because this is what NAMI's been fighting for all these years, is that it's there. One in five of us are struggling, but we've not really brought it up to the forefront. And now it's more visible. Now people, regular folks, just like you and me, are saying, hey, I'm struggling. I need help. And it's okay to talk about. So yes, I do believe that things are going to change. I hope that more people will be open about talking about their journey of mental health and practicing self-care. That was Kumi McDonald, Executive Director of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, talking with The Conversation's producer, Harrison Patino. Uh, NAMI's annual walk to raise awareness about mental health and self-care is a go for tomorrow, Saturday uh, the 10th, International Mental Health Day.
Governor Lou Civil Beat's reality check today looks at the ongoing drama swirling over Hawaii's most expensive public works project, rail. Reporter Marcel Henri joins us to talk about the latest development. Good morning. Hey, Catherine. Happy Aloha Friday. Yes, and you know, this seems like we're living in a, I don't know, a soap opera, you know, the taste of our lives with rail. <laughs> Tell our listeners what's the latest. Yeah, I mean, it's been quite a week on the rail project, and this follows uh, some some big events that happened in the last several weeks. So just to kind of keep it, bring everybody up to speed, you know, in the last several weeks, um, uh, uh, so the, the public-private partnership that both Hart and the city were, were trying to uh, finalize and, and award a contract, well, the city just surprisingly withdrew from that process on September 25th, uh, presumably leaving Hart. And then Hart is also mentioning that it's, it's um, you know, it, it's quest to relocate utility lines along Dillingham Boulevard, which is probably the, the toughest stretch of this entire project, uh, but it's part of this project because it's such a, you know, a, a huge uh, bustling populated area that they're trying to get this, this rail line there. They, they, that, that effort to, uh, to relocate has completely stalled. And that's all, you know, you know this P3 process, this public-private partnership process, and those utility relocation efforts are, are completely linked, and they're both just, just going completely sideways right now. So this past week, there were uh, several hearings uh, with the city council and the Hart board to really just take stock of, of what's happening and, uh, you know, so really just kind of these, this taking, taking all this information in and trying to process and see what's going to happen. And, and basically yesterday you had this really interesting back and forth between Honolulu Mayor Kirk Caldwell and Rails top executive Andy Robbins, where they are in sharp disagreement about whether Hart should continue to try and salvage a deal out of this, this P3 effort and go it alone. Uh, or whether they should just completely blow up that procurement and start over, which is what the mayor is strongly pressing for. And, and it's just, it, you know, the project is just in a, another crazy, dramatic place, as, as you mentioned. Yeah, so Andy basically is saying, we just can't quit. We're close. Yeah, you, you know, this is the fourth time, or this is the third time, and it would be the fourth time, I should say, if they start over and try and procure the most daunting contract and he's saying like basically we're right on the you know the the 10 yard line i guess uh to, you know use that sports analogy and and let's see if we can't just just break something through uh and negotiate uh you know some kind of a deal in this procurement process uh the mayor has not seen the bids but the mayor is saying look from the city's side our team has looked at this and just, you know, the numbers don't make sense. And, you know, the, the, the city was looking to pull out of this as, as quickly as they could uh, once the awards came in and, and they evaluated it. So, frankly, it's, it's really hard. I, I hate to give, you know, listeners a he said, she said, but it's really hard to, to say uh, because this is an active procurement process and we don't really know what the numbers are. Uh, we have seen reports that for construction, uh, you know, one of the bids, Presumably came in, you know, over over 600 million more than what Hart was looking for. But, but Robbins is insisting. He's saying there is something that you know you can gain if you give us another few weeks to talk to the bidders and uh, you know get get some intel, get some information on what they're thinking, and, and we could really, you know, it's invaluable, and we might even be able to close a deal. The mayor is saying you guys have already seen this process delay, you know, over, about a year now. Uh, a lot of it to COVID, but frankly, not all of it due to COVID. And, you know, you guys are still asking for more time. We need to just stop and figure out what we're doing and let the FTA know what we're doing and, and get a fresh start. So that's that's really kind of where they're, they're butting heads. And it's not really clear even, you know, whether whether Andy can, can continue to pursue this. The, the city's corporation council represents both sides in this, which is kind of interesting, and they have yet to, to give an opinion. Uh, so you, you've just really got this interesting butting of heads. And they're trying to get an outside kind of uh, opinion, a, a legal opinion, right, on, on which way to go? 
Yeah, Hart also, in addition to its own corporation council representative, you know, these deputies that work for the agency, it, it hired a, a private firm called Ashers. And, you know, Andy told me yesterday they're going to ask them what they think about this whole dispute because the city is basically arguing, you guys can't move forward. We pulled out and you started this process on the condition that we were a partner with you in this procurement. We're no longer a, procure, a partner, so the procurement's dead. Uh, that's the city's position, and Andy is, is, you know, Andy's position is Andy's position right now. So right. the lawyers have yet to uh, to jump in. Um, you know, the Hart board. It sounds like they might. Uh, you know, a lot of them were were expressing agreement with the mayor. Uh, they've mm-hmm. yet to formally weigh in with some sort of a resolution. But uh, it doesn't even see, even if they were to to express their opinion to stop P three, it's not clear that you know, they would have any say in this because they're, they're not part of that process. Okay. All right. We'll just have to stay tuned as, it's, as rail yeah. turns. Thanks so much, uh, Marcel. Sure thing. That was reporter Marcel Henri with today's Reality Check. To read his full story, visit civilbeat.org. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. On the next Science Friday, our continuing coverage of the increasing spread of COVID-19, plus the Nobel Prizes in Chemistry for CRISPR. You can think about it almost like a pair of scissors for DNA in the cell. And in physics for black holes. The situation that we now call a black hole, in those days they didn't even have a word for it. Plus the book club. That's on the next Science Friday from WNYC Studio. Beginning this afternoon at 1. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, offering reconnections to the art, courtyards, and the museum community. Open Thursdays to Sundays with new evening hours. HonoluluMuseum.org. This morning, HBR's Noe Tanigawa joins us to give us a feel for what's on voters' minds. Good morning, Noe. Hi. You know, I've been checking with some voters on the island of Kauai. The Community Coalition of Kauai and others over there have been sponsoring these community forums on Facebook for people to learn about issues and check out the candidates. And they've been astounded by the turnout. The last one had over 3,000 people just tuning into the live presentation. It was also on their community radio station, and they've had a lot of hits since. So people like Laurel Breyer, co-founder of the Kauai Women's Caucus, says that interest has been high. And she thinks the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, has created needs whose solutions could be part of the recovery. Where are people going to go? Where is there going to be work? These are all things we need to tackle really at the same time. And that's why the conversation was interesting to see the people who see the connection and then other people who were, well, we can't worry about climate right now because of our economy. Let's put it all together. You know, if we're going to build low-income rental units, you know, can that generate some work? And can we build it in a different way that is more resilient? You know, a lot of people have that idea of using the moment, Catherine, to kind of try to spring forward. And Breyer said that the whole idea of climate issues that she's concerned with are entwined with um, how the island produces energy and how it deals with waste. I mean, at one forum, a candidate proposed composting as a viable commercial business as part of the COVID recovery. She liked that. She says an audience member held up two papayas. I mean, they looked identical, but one was from Honduras and the other was from Kauai. And the speaker was pointing out the local impact of spending your dollar on the local papaya. Uh, Johnny Godinas worked at the UH Kauai Ag Research Center for over 30 years, and now he's running the family business, Tropical Flowers Express in Kapahi. He's past president uh, of the Kauai Farm Bureau. I would say that there's an awareness now between the community and everybody else that, hey, we need to think of alternatives to tourism. We need to build up our agricultural industry so that we can be not only sustainable, but profitable. What would really help more is if all the restaurants were open, if the hotels were open, where the produce is from farm to table. You know, I know there's uh, price 
tag on the difference between a local cucumber and a cucumber from the mainland. Which is more expensive? The local one. It's fresher. It's more nutritious. The more we support our local businesses, it stays here. Yep. I mean, Cortinas is, is really challenging. Uh, saying the cheapest is not always the best. Yeah, no, that, that's right. You, you know, and, and I think it, you have to have the COVID filter on for everything going forward. That is so true. Uh, and especially on a small island like Hawaii. I mean, maybe it has been their size. 72,000 residents that has allowed them to move forward as a team so much. You know, but it certainly is how they've been able to keep the economy going there with with no tourists coming in. I mean, Gardenas, he doesn't see big changes coming up, you know, in, in the council races and so on. But um, are some things coming up that could make a difference in kind of how the internal sort of county runs. John Harder is the founder of Zero Waste Kauai, and he's a member of the Kauai Climate Action Coalition. You know, he says that the chart, the, there are a couple of questions on the ballot, charter questions five and six, that um, would omit the requirement of an engineering degree in order to be county engineer and manager and chief engineer of the water department. It's kind of interesting, the, the issues it points out. He says he's still undecided on that. And after 30 years in both state and county government, he still has to weigh the option. It would be easier, more convenient, more positive, loosen up the restrictions so that other qualified personnel that want to work to help improve government. On the other hand, there's the concern that by loosening up those qualifications, if you're talking about the administrator looking at bringing in one of his own buddies or his own cronies, it makes it easier. So the balance between opening it up to more qualified candidates and allowing cronyism. What he was saying was that qualified candidates, you know, are hard to find because of the pay scale in the county. And people are weighing questions like this all over the state, really. Harder points out the backdrop for everything, as you say, Catherine, is the COVID pandemic. And Kauai's experience has been different from other islands. They've maintained the lowest contagion rates, and they know it. Performing artist Molly Ola Cook, she teaches at Kano Ikapono School in Anahola. Even I feel safe here. And when I speak to my friends on Oahu or in Hilo, some of them and their children, they don't feel safe because that virus is out there. Over here, you can go to a store, you can go out. Many of us are much more reserved than we used to be about going out. But I don't feel scared. <laughs> Imagine that, Catherine. You know, we on Oahu do feel scared, right? Every time we go to the supermarket. Um, but how is everyone going to live with this is the question. The Kauai Chamber of Commerce released a poll taken by 129 local businesses there, and 36.5% of them said they'll go under if tourism isn't back in six months. Still, Pat Griffin of the Lihue Business Association noted that about 70% of businesses polled support the 14-day inner island quarantine. They want to protect Kauai citizens. Even businesses that were struggling thought that a first and most important element is safety in the community. Many people are still confident and know that this too shall pass. There is construction that's going on, and, and while some of our really well-liked businesses, restaurants are hanging on, there is still general optimism midst our gritted teeth and we're just taking it one day at a time sounds familiar yes <laughs> good advice one day at a time that's kind of how it's going on Kauai. and you know today's the day that uh, all of their election ballots are going out they're they're happy to be polled but pretty much they are facing the same kinds of things we are across the state they're thankful that they have been safer however in the last few months and they're thanking their mayor and and his team for that and so uh, uh, folks then will have uh, all those voter service centers they can go to to drop their ballots off, right? Exactly. I mean, the um, elections office on Kauai said that they still expect everybody's going to, most people will be dropping things in the U.S. Postal Service, the regular mail. But they've set up all these drop boxes around the island, and um, they're, they're going to be open 24-7. 24-7 you'll be able to drop your um ballot off there until 7 p.m. Tuesday, November 3rd. All right. Main thing, get out and vote. That's the main thing. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks so much. We've been talking to HPR's Noe Tanigawa. To read her stories, head to hawaiipublicradio.org.
We'll be featuring a new segment here on Fridays. We turn to our friends from the BBC for global insights and perspectives on the upcoming presidential election here in the U.S. Here's your Global View. From the BBC in London, I'm Rob Hugh-Jones with Global View on 2020, a look at how the world's been discussing the U.S. presidential election campaign. Coming up, what phrase caught the world's attention in the vice presidential debate? and why China's internet censors don't want anyone commenting on President Trump's health. But first, Mr Trump's coronavirus experience got the world's attention. Many media outlets took an ironic tone, including Ukraine's Inter-TV. The past few days, they said, will be described in fiction or medical reference books as a case of super-fast healing. Meanwhile, a writer on Nigeria's Premium Times noted... Trump's mishandling of the COVID-19 situation in the United States is a threat to U.S. national security. It is a threat to the security of the world. But the public broadcaster in Poland suggested this could help Mr. Trump's chances in the election. People have good hearts, they said. When they look at a man fighting a disease, their sympathy for him will grow. Another big story was the vice presidential debate between Mike Pence and Kamala Harris. Well, earlier I spoke with Krasi Twig. She works for BBC Monitoring, which scans the world's media. As Danish Public Radio put it, there was hunger for presidential behaviour. There's a sense, you read all these commentaries, and there's a sense of relief that the participants delivered. And this really was a proper debate, as you expect the debate to be, albeit a little bit boring, as one Russian commentator put it. Another thing, if there's one phrase that captured the attention like shut up man did for the previous debate, it has got to be, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. And this was how Kamala Harris refused to be interrupted. And this kind of assertiveness resonated with lots of people, a lot of women. Uh, the female mayor of Bogota in Colombia tweeted her support. This is her tweet. I'm speaking, Vice President. Kamala Harris, long live women. Kamala, President, soon. Okay, that's quite an endorsement. Um, Talking about Kamala Harris, what about her Indian connection? Of course, her mother was Indian. So you would expect that maybe to have been widely represented or this debate in the Indian press. Was that true? Uh, Yes, it was. In fact, I mean, this this has been a talking point in India uh, for the last few weeks. One commentary said that for the first time ever, uh, both presidential candidates were trying to woo the Hindu voters. Uh, And another one said that this was going to be a very Indian election in America. Just finally, Krasi, do you think, just generally looking at the global media and the US election at the moment, do you think people regard this as a really important election or is there a kind of mocking tone or what, what would you say? The mocking tone certainly exists in certain countries. In Russia, they mocked Kamala Harris's comment when she said that she wouldn't take uh, President Trump's vaccine. But then there is a lot of interest, even by countries who officially say they're not interested in the election, like Iran, for example. Iranian officials have long been saying, oh, we don't care who's going to be the next president. That's that's their matter. We're not we're not bothered. But what you see in the media is something completely different. You see media picking up in great detail on these debates, on the last two debates. Crassy twig. Well, the president's health also made waves on social media, and BBC Chinese noticed that state media there blocked comments on web articles about coronavirus in the White House. Zhao Yinfeng is with BBC Chinese. Beijing is carefully controlling public opinion regarding Trump's illness in case a flood of inappropriate social media comments may further derail the already strained U.S.-China relations. I'm Rob Hugh-Jones at the BBC. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, locations, and Honolulu Waldorf School. HPR is a nonprofit that is funded in large part by listeners, individuals making contributions they can afford and pooling their resources to support this essential public service. The vast majority of these funds go toward the things that matter most to you, 
the news and music you rely on, platforms like our website and mobile app, and the infrastructure that keeps you connected no matter where you are. Make the leap from listener to member. Become a sustainer in our fall pledge drive at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Kahala Hotel and Resort on Oahu, announcing the reopening of their restaurants, welcoming Kama'aina back to Hoku's, the Veranda, and Plumeria Beach House. Reservations at kahalaresort.com. Chef Lillian Kumick teaches cooking classes, hosts her own online cooking program, and most recently authored a new cookbook, Hawaii, a Vegan Paradise. This native of Australia has been in the food industry for over 30 years, spending the bulk of her career in Sendai, Japan, before moving to Hawaii in 2018. Kumick naturally gravitated to the food scene and started tweaking recipes to add her own unique spin to local favorites, like Spam Musubi and the local moko. She recently sat down with another Lillian, our producer Lillian Song, to talk about her new project. This book is more than just a cookbook. It is a guide for anyone who's interested in starting a plant-based diet or just incorporating even more plant-based food into your daily meals. So I am very fascinated by how I can veganize recipes. When I'm creating a recipe, it starts from looking at a picture of the original. So when I look at an original Spam Musubi made with meat, I can immediately in my mind concoct something that I think will work. And that's how, that's how my mind works. So in the, in the case of the Spam Musubi, I see tofu. Tofu is a great source of protein, very accessible, very inexpensive, available anywhere on the planet and happens to be good for you. So that was one of the easier ones. The uh, Lokomoko, which is the star of the book, I think, and is on the actual cover of Hawaii Vegan Paradise, is made with a vegan sunny side up egg. Now this one really literally blows people away and they're like, no way, this can't be vegan. Every time I post you know, something like that on my social media, people are just so curious and wanna know what it's about. So the vegan egg is actually, the yolk is made from kabocha, which is a Japanese pumpkin. And the egg white is actually made from uh, rice flour. And if you look at the picture of that, it's incredible how far we've come with vegan food. So my process of creating vegan food is really looking at the, you know, say a locomoco. I know I can veganize an egg. The patty is easy. I did a, a red bean patty simple white rice and then a gorgeous thick mushroom gravy one of my favorite recipes in the book and i think one that is just easy to make but looks fantastic tastes good (laughs) wow you got me flipping back i'm like if you didn't tell me that was a vegan egg just the eyes the mind is like that's an egg i have to tell you about eggs when it comes to uh, making vegan eggs there's this magic ingredient called color namak which is a black salt and it's very deceiving in the sense that it's actually not black in color. It's a, it's a light pink hue. And because of its high sulfur content, it, it makes food taste, not only taste, but also smell like eggs. Yes. What do you call that again? It's called Kala Namak. It's spelled K-A-L-A-N-A-M-A-K. Kalanamak, it's, it's commonly used in Indian cooking, I believe. You can get it here in Hawaii as well or online. It literally turns a tofu scramble into a scramble egg. You wouldn't know the difference almost because it's also got the smell factor, which is very hard That's to get into vegan food. How interesting. It's crazy. I recommend anyone who is interested in making vegan-style egg dishes to check it out. You're going to be blown away by how eggy this this makes food taste. It's crazy. Another beautiful dish in the book that you'll find is vegan ahi. I actually use bell peppers, roasted red bell peppers for a vegan ahi curry sushi that's in the book. And it's amazing. So I teach cooking classes as well and my students, they love it. So stuff like that that is people really wouldn't think about. Again, this book is just, you can just leave it on a coffee table and, you know, have people over and let them flip through. And it's such an amazing conversational piece. Mm. (laughs) 
my mind is still trying to process this. You're saying that for the ahi, you actually use a red bell pepper? I think you will be very, very surprised at how similar roasted red bell pepper, skin peeled, you roast it in the oven basically until it blisters, remove the skin, spray a little bit of soy sauce or liquid aminos on it, and that just you can just use it as a sushi topping or a sushi filling. Visually, if you look at the picture in the book, visually, you would not tell the difference. It looks so much like a piece of fish. It, it's going to blow you away. I'm sure you must have had a lot of trial and error, but how did you decide that these would be in your book? Well, I knew that the publishing company, Mutual Publishing, uh, were looking for someone who could showcase Hawaiian food. So I had to start there. And because I'm not an expert on Hawaiian food, I did have to do my research. Luckily, I happen to be half Fijian. My mother is Fijian. So while I was growing up in Australia, I mean, I ate Fijian food all the time, which most people know is Polynesian food and therefore very similar to the Hawaiian flavors and ingredients. So I, I was lucky in the sense that I had a, you know, I had an idea of what things are supposed to taste and, and look like, and I was familiar with a lot of the uh, dishes. So that wasn't too difficult, but I did spend a lot of hours in my kitchen. My husband is the main taste tester, but I did get some friends to try, and you know, they gave me a lot of feedback. They were amazing, and I'm so grateful that I was able to get the recipes to the point where I was happy to put them into a book. And once the recipes were down, then it was just about filling in the chapters and um, the introduction. I guide you through what veganism is, why people choose to go vegan, the types of vegans, um, getting started on a plant-based diet, how to read labels and look out for red flag ingredients, how to stock your new vegan pantry, essential cooking tools. It was a long process writing the book. It took me about uh, eight months to write. And probably I spent eight of those months mostly in my kitchen. You mentioned red flag ingredients. Can you give mm -hmm. me an example? Well, the, the most common one that really people do have to look out for that can creep into their food unexpectedly is gelatin. Gelatin is, is made from collagen taken from basically animal body parts and it's often used as like a thickening agent in processed foods. I do have to stress this book, Hawaii, A Vegan Paradise, it is for, it's for people who are 8 or 80, vegan or not. It's for, you know, the, the kitchen newbie, the trained professional or novice chef or five-star chef. It, it doesn't really matter. I've always tried to keep that casual feel that, you know, anybody can make these recipes and above all that everybody is welcome, vegan or not. So when I, you know, guide you through all the ins and outs of the vegan lifestyle, whether you're vegan or not, you are going to get something out of it because once you start reading labels, which is my advice to any person who buys food and does the shopping in their household, is to take a look sometimes at the label and see what's actually in it. If there's more than 10 things in something or ingredients that you can't pronounce or don't know what they are, put it down. Don't buy it. Can you share mm -hmm. one of your favorite tips? Yeah. In the book, you'll, you'll find so many tips and tricks about how little things like when you make a pasta, you, you always keep the pasta water that the pasta was cooked in and add that at the end when you're mixing the noodles through the sauce. It helps loosen the pasta, stuff like that. Um, there's tips throughout the book like tofu, the tofu 101 section. People don't like tofu because they're not preparing it the right way. You can turn tofu into the most delicious thing just by freezing it. Tofu is just a waterlogged, you know, block of soy bean curd. And contrary to what people think, it doesn't soak up flavors because it's so waterlogged. You have to get that water, water out by draining it. And when you freeze tofu, it actually changes the, uh, the texture of it and, and makes it more um, airy so that sauces can soak up into that tofu. So there's stuff like that that are really, I think, going to help people out when they're cooking and, and make their food taste better. And I do sneak things in, like there's a dish, buttered scallops. I also have my own 
recipe in there for butter, can you believe? <laughs> People don't make their own butter. I also have a vegan mayo, mayonnaise recipe in there that's just so much better than what you'll find in a store. And again, going back to reading labels, when, you, when there's so many, so many ingredients written on the label, um, sometimes it's better just to make your own from scratch. You know what you're putting into your body. It's going to make you feel better. It's going to make you look better. And above all, you know, health is very important for any person. So this book is yeah, really going to shatter the notion that vegan food is boring while delving into the ins and outs of how to, how to make it work and how to go about it. That was Chef Lillian Kumick, who has veganized local dishes like Spam Musubi and Lokomoko. Her new book, Hawaii, A Vegan Paradise, is a colorful collection of over 120 plant-based recipes, including homemade vegan butter, cauliflower buffalo wings, a king choider, uh, oyster chowder. Uh, the book is out this month, available at mutualpublishing.com. We'll have links on the conversation page. That's it for this Aloha Friday. Uh, heads up, next week there's a chance our regular programming could be affected by the Senate confirmation hearings. You can call our talk back line and leave us your comments. That's 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Check us out on social media. And remember, you can listen back to our shows on the conversation page at the HPR website. Our program's produced by Lillian Song, Harrison Patino, and Jason Ubai. The Backyard Theme Quiz, or Quiz Theme, was written for us by John DeMello and our theme music courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday. Pick up the conversation. Mm-hmm.